I want to welcome you today and let you know we're recording this right in the middle of Vacation Bible School. I want to tell you there is a lot of energy in this place. And we're seeing so many things that have blessed us and have helped us along the way. And your giving, your prayers, make all of this possible. Today's message is from Jeremiah chapter 2. And we're going to talk about why we need to do things differently as a convention of churches, in our own local church, and in our lives. So I hope that you will be blessed and encouraged and that you will be challenged as we read from God's Word. We are looking at Jeremiah chapter 2. Let me remind you that Jeremiah lived about 26, 2700 years ago. Uh, he was a prophet of the Lord. He was not one of those people who wanted to be a prophet of the Lord. The Lord called him when he was young, maybe 17 or 18 or 19 years old, and said, Jeremiah, you're going to speak to the nations. You're going to speak to kings. You're going to speak my word. And Jeremiah began doing so. And Jeremiah chapter 2 is typical of the things that Jeremiah said, powerful words. The one thing I'd want you to see about this immediately is how many times Jeremiah says, thus saith the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's listen to it together. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim to the, to the, uh, in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How... How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord. It means set apart for God's service. The first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all the clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They didn't ask, where is the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and not even anyone lives? I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit, and rich produce. But you came and by your behavior defile my land and made my inheritance detestable. Notice this in verse 8. Four groups of people. I want you to think about these. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who taught the law did not know me. 
The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by the false gods of Baal following worship worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Crossover to the coast of Cyprus and look. Send to Kadar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods, even though they are no gods at all? But my people, the people of Israel, have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with a great Horror declares the Lord. And then he says the powerful words, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out for, them, for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that do not hold any water. I was reading a news site this week, and I, I read something. I didn't know I was reading it. I didn't know I was getting into it. I read something that's, that's simply not news. It's not the kind of thing you know you need to know for the world to keep spinning. It's not the kind of thing you need to know to know what's happening in the country. It's about as common as anything could be. A man, a father... A grandfather died in Los Angeles. His family that lived in California came down the coast, went to his house, and started the process of cleaning out his things, cleaning out his house, getting the estate ready to be settled. It happens every day. It's happened to a lot of you. You, you know the emotion of it. You know the... the the intrigue, the mystery of it. What are we going to find? What are we going to do with all of it? These, this man was an immigrant from Germany, and he had been a saver, not a hoarder, but a saver, and he knew what was valuable and what mattered. So the family was not really surprised when they found a large amount of pennies and I don't know, half a bucket full, all copper, no zinc in them, all of them before 1982. And then they went into the crawl space of the, of the uh, house, and they found more pennies. And then they started finding bags of pennies, like you would, like you would get from the bank. And these things were all over the house. They didn't know what they were finding. They didn't know what they had found. They started weighing some of the bags, and then they counted the pennies in the bags, not exactly the kind of thing you want to spend your life doing, but they did that, and they figured out that they had about one million pennies. And... I don't know if this is right. I just looked it up like you would look it up. 
about 240 pennies to the pound, about 4,200 pounds of pennies. So they knew they had a problem. What in the world do you do with two tons of pennies? And where do you keep that? And how do we sell the house? And how do we get all of this out of this? They started thinking, well, we could rent a truck and we could take it, and then they got to put it in their house. What would it take? You, you could almost, I think you could fill up a garage with 4,000 pounds of pennies. Then they thought about selling it. And since it was all copper, and since it would be filled with all kinds of pennies that collectors would want to get their hands on, maybe we could sell it. But what would those people do with them? So they got a problem. I hope somewhere in a couple of weeks that somebody follows up with this and tells us what happened with all of those pennies. Well, we've got a problem. It's not pennies. Frankly, it's not money. We have problems. We have problems in our convention of churches. As much as we think about our church, we have problems in our church. As much as we love the families around us, all of them have problems. And even those of us who understand how blessed we are, we recognize we have problems. So what is our problem? What was the problem in Jeremiah's day? By the way, Jeremiah was called to be a prophet of the Lord about 626 B.C. Within 40 years, the nation of Israel ceased to exist. Within 40 years, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Within, 20, within 40 years, the walls of Jerusalem were torn down. Within 40 years, there was no one living in Jerusalem. It became simply a place for, for lizards and snakes and all of the other things that would be there and wild animals. All of that was gone because they had a problem. Jeremiah gave these words. He preached these words so that they would understand what their problem was. Jeremiah had a goal. What was the goal? That they would confess their sins, that they would repent of their sins, that they would turn from that which was worthless and turn unto the Lord God. That is what God wants us to do. God wants us to take all of this seriously. God wants us to hear his word. God wants us to be obedient to his word. It is so easy to go to church and check off a box. I'm supposed to go to church and I went to church. I'm supposed to listen to a sermon and we check it off. I'm supposed to sing and we check it off. I'm supposed to give and we check it off. And then we go and we get in the car and everybody looks around and says, that was nice. And we go on living the way we've been living. What Jeremiah wanted, what God wants for us, 
is for us to look deep in our hearts and to let God's Spirit speak to us and call us to Him in faith. And we open our hearts to God and we confess our sins and repent of our sins and seek to live for Him and honor Him in all that we do. So, what was their problem? But more importantly, what is our problem? Four things. Number one, we've forgotten who we are. And that's what Jeremiah said to the people of Israel. Have you forgotten who you are? Have you forgotten where you came from? In our country, we, we talk about race all the time. Interestingly, the Bible doesn't talk about race. It talks about nations. It talks about people groups. It talks about ethnicity. Matthew 28, when Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of all the nations, it, it literally means all of the people groups, all of the ethnicities of the world. Go and make disciples of all the world. Israel was not a race. It wasn't even a nation for the longest time. There was Egypt. There was Syria. There was Babylon. There were all of these other nations, but there was no Israel until God called a man by the name of Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees. And he said, I want you to go to this land, and everywhere you put your foot, that's going to be your land. And I'm going to make of you a great nation. It's going to be like the grains of sand on the seashore. It's going to be like the stars of the heavens. If, if you can number the stars of the heavens, then you will be able to number your descendants, Abraham. And who was Abraham? He was a man who had a wife, Abraham and Sarah. No children, and God says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And what Jeremiah is saying, what God is saying to the people of Israel, you've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten that you are the family of God and the people of God. And that's what happens when we leave church on Sunday. We forget that we are the people of God, that we are witnessing by our actions, by our lives, by our language, that we're showing who we are. And it's always wonderful when they see Jesus in us, but it is always a horrible experience when we don't show forth the goodness and the love of God to the people around us. Our problem is we've forgotten who we are. There's a second problem, and that is that we've forgotten who led us to this place. In verses 4 through 7, here's, here's what uh, God says to the people, because remember, it is, here, it is his word. Hear the word of, Lo of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me, says the Lord, that they turned away from me? Wouldn't that be a striking thing if somebody said to you, what fault did you find in God that you turned away from God and you started worshiping idols and you started living like the people around you? What, what was God's fault 
in doing that. And God says that to, to them, that they strayed far from me. They, what did they do? They followed wor worthless idols, and they became worthless themselves. Here, here's a truth. It is a truth that you always need to remember. It is a truth that, that will be true all the time and every time. You always become like that thing that you make most important in your life. If it is money, if it is work, if it is pride, it, if it is any of those kind of things, whatever you make most important in your life, you're going to become like that. And here's what the people of Israel did. They came in to the land of Canaan, and they became like the Canaanites. I don't know how they said it. What we say in our day is everybody's doing this. It must be okay. And that was the attitude that the Israelites had. They came among the Canaanites. The Canaanites worshiped the Baal gods, and there were hundreds, if not thousands, of gods that they had. They worshiped them on the high places. It was a fertility religion. It promoted, not just accepted, it promoted immorality of every kind. We all think that we live in the most immoral day, certainly that we've ever seen, but we think that we live in the most immoral day. But the Canaanites rivaled us for our immorality. And the people of Israel came into the land of Canaan. God had given them the land. God gave it to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the children of, of Jacob, the children of Israel. They came. Joshua led them across the Jordan River. They took the land. They had been in the wilderness where there was nothing. God had given them water. He had given them food to eat. He had provided everything. He gave them the land, a land that Moses described as flowing with milk and honey, a land of plenty, and they forgot the Lord their God. They overlooked the blessings of God. Wouldn't that be the way that anybody outside of America would look at us? They've forgotten the blessings of God. They've forgotten what got them here. They've forgotten that their nation was founded to be a righteous godly nation they've forgotten that they have been blessed immeasurably like no one else on the face of the earth the israelites did the same kind of thing and they they missed they wanted to be like the people around them and they established the habits of the people around them and when they came into this land and they had plenty to eat and they had houses to live in and they had silver and gold they neglected the lord their god and even though we read it maybe it sounds a little bit unusual to us 
We know this every day. You, you've got family members who are this way. You've got neighbors who are this way. Maybe, maybe the members of your small little family are this way. We've, we've forgotten the Lord. We've let our affluence become our God. And it has drawn us away from the things of God. We've forgotten who it was that led us and who has blessed us. And we have neglected him and we've left him out of our lives. There's a third problem that we've had. And that is that we've neglected the truth. In our day, you hear people, you hear high officials in government who says, I want you to tell me your truth. And they're talking about, tell me about your immorality. Tell me about your false beliefs. Tell me about your turning away from God. Because when we talk about our truth, that is, that is what that is. It, we've neglected the truth of God. We've missed out on him. Go back to verse 8 and look again at those verses. Remember, there, there are four groups of people who are described. Number one and number four are both religious leaders. Number two would also be seen as a religious leader. And then he talks about civil leaders, leaders in government, the bureaucracy, those who are elected to high office, those who are called to lead the country. So here's what he says in verse 8. The priest have not asked, where is the Lord? Now think about it this way. You are a priest of Israel or you are the pastor of a church or you are a preacher of the gospel and you leave God out of it. How can you be a priest and leave God out of it? How can you be a preacher, a pastor, and leave God out of it? And yet in our country, every Sunday, we see that happening all over the country. The priest have forgotten me, says the Lord. They've, they've said, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law, and remember here, the law is Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's what Jesus, in the time of Jesus, we call scribes and lawyers, not attorneys, but somebody who knew the law and taught the law. He, Jeremiah says, those who deal with the law, they don't even know me. How can you talk about the God that you don't know, that you've never experienced? The third group here are the leaders. And here he's talking, about the, the, he's talking about the civil shepherds. And isn't that a beautiful way to describe a president, a vice president, a governor, a mayor, a councilman? What are they? They are shepherds. Their responsibility is to shepherd the people. It is certainly not to to lead the people away from God. It is to lead the people to God. That is God's plan. That is God's will. But the leaders, what are they doing? The shepherds have rebelled against me. They've rebelled against God. 
The fourth group that is described are the prophets. And we love the prophets because the canonical prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the book of the 12, what we would call the minor prophets, Amos and Hosea and Joel and Obadiah, we love the prophets. Those were prophets, but there were more than that because a prophet was not somebody who made predictions, but somebody who spoke the word of the Lord. In other words, we, we had prophets in New Testament times. Before the New Testament was written, there were prophets who spoke God's word, reminding them of what Jesus had said and applying it to their lives. What does Jeremiah say? The prophets prophesied by Baal, not by the Lord. They didn't speak the word of the Lord. They became false prophets. They neglected the truth of God and the truth of God's word. You know, we all need to go back to Genesis chapter 1. I, I, I read that again this morning thinking about it. W what that verse means, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That obviously came from God, and it could only come from God because when God said that, what is he saying? He is saying, everything here is mine. Everything here is because of me. I'm the God of the universe, the heavens and the earth. I created it all. But we live in a day in which we want to say we created it all. We want to say we are in charge. We know better than God. We know better than God's word. It's ridiculous, it's ludicrous, but every day, every hour in America, somebody is saying that God got it all wrong. You know, when people would ask Jesus about marriage, about divorce, about marriage, about what, what should happen and how that should be viewed and everything, Jesus always took them back to Genesis. And he always took them back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, 24. For this reason, a man leaves his father and his mother and he cleaves, he sticks to his wife and they become one flesh. And that one flesh is such a beautiful description of what it means to be married. One flesh physically, of course, but mentally and emotionally, and you become such a part of one another, as I've said before, so that when one part of that beautiful union dies, you feel that you have lost part of yourself. That is the plan of God for marriage. What, did, what does the Bible say? God created the male and female, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply and to complement one another and to bless one another. Our problem is we've neglected the proof, the truth of God's word and we've made it for ourselves. There's a fourth problem and I think this is the way when I look at it, I see it all brought together by Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, 
He talks about they've gone after worthless idols, even things that don't exist, and that's the way Jeremiah looked at it. An idol doesn't exist. There's no God. Isaiah the prophet, a hundred years before Jeremiah, said they, they take a block of wood, they carve it out, they overlay it with brass or gold or silver or something, and they take it and they put it on a platform like this, and they bow down before it, and it can't move, and it can't hear, and it can't see, and it can't speak. I mean, when you really think about this, they went after worthless idols, and they became worthless and so we exchange the God who created the heavens and earth and knows all about our DNA and our RNA and all of those things that we're just beginning to understand and knows all about the creation of the world and whatever is out there in what seems to us to be endless space. God, we're, we're swapping him out for the idol that sits on our table or by whatever it is that you make most important in your life. Our problem is that we've gone after worthlessness. And Jeremiah put it in this way. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me the fountain of living water. Isn't that interesting? The Old Testament, God is described as the fountain of living water. In the New Testament, Jesus is the living water. He is what we need. Now, you and I, this is kind of one of those things that maybe it really doesn't speak to us because everybody here has good, pure, for the most part, water in America. And you don't have to worry about that. Unless something has been introduced to it, everything is fine, and, and we're good. But do you know that right now, today, around the world, there are Christian groups like, like all of us who have spent a fortune taking drilling equipment and gone to what we would call third world nations, and they've drilled wells because those people do not have good drinking water, and it terribly affects their health. And they are Christians who are digging wells. They've spent a fortune on the equipment, and they've spent a fortune getting people there, and they've spent a fortune on the people who are doing this, this that other people may have good water. Here's the way it was in Israel. In Israel, you had to find a way to get water. Everybody does. So that the people of Israel, even as early as 1900, or as late as 1900, when, when people went to what we knew as Palestine in those days, now as Israel, before Israel was back in the land, they would go there, and archaeologists would describe what they found. And one of the things they would describe is that they had hewed out cisterns. Now, this wasn't in Jeremiah's day, 2,600 years ago. It was in the day of people who lived 125 years ago. 
and they're still going into limestone outcroppings and hewing out a cistern so that it can collect rainwater and so that the runoff can go in that cistern. And they are pleased with that and happy with that because that's all that they know. Now, it's limestone, and so there's no such thing as clear water. It's chalky. It's milky water. And I don't want to gross you out, but I'd sure hate to know what was at the bottom of those cisterns. And so here's what God says. You've forsaken me. I am the fountain of living water. And in exchange for me, you have hewn out for yourself. Hear what they're doing? It's all about me. It's what I want. It's what I can do for myself. You've hewn out for yourself cisterns, milky, chalky runoff, And and besides that, these cisterns are broken. All of our idols are. All of those things were important. All of those things are going to disappoint us. Our problem is we've gone after worthlessness. And Jeremiah calls us to go after God, to confess our sin, to repent of our sin, to open our hearts to God, to say to God, God, you are our Lord. You are the creator of the ends of the earth. You're the one who called me by name. You're the one who sent your son to die on the cross for me. I give myself to you. What did Jeremiah want them to do? He wanted them to repent. He wanted them to return to the Lord, to obey the Lord, and to follow the Lord. And that's what God wants to happen right now where we say unto God, God, I, I want you. I, I turn away from my life. I turn away from my selfishness, my pride. The Romans loved pride and hated humility, but Jesus told us to be humble and not prideful. Told us to submit ourselves before God and before God and to humble ourselves before him. I want to ask you to do that today, to humble yourself before God, to seek him with all your heart, and to give your life unto him. There will be boys and girls here who have, who have asked Jesus into their heart this week who will want to come and publicly confess before the church their devotion to the Lord. But there will be grandparents who will want to do the same in offering themselves unto God. Let's pray together. And after my prayer, we're going to stand and we're going to invite you to come and make public decisions for the Lord. Let's pray. God, we praise and honor and exalt your name. And we say to you, you are our God and there is no other. And God, we want to turn away from our sin and our selfishness and our pride And we want to give ourselves in faithfulness unto you. God, please speak now to us and let us hear you 
and respond to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.